I've been thinking about the term hacker. I know you use the term a fair bit. You seem to sort of identify with the term hacker. And I know I have no qualms about calling myself a hacker. But I fairly recently had a conversation with an employee where they I suggested that the requirements to call yourself a hacker is essentially that you smash code together to make things happen or that the bar is not very high. It's not a, not a sort of cool title of honor that requires a black hoodie and years of C and a specific focus on computer security, but rather that it's a, it should be a fairly open term. If you feel that what you're doing is hacking, you're probably doing hacking. And if what you're doing is hacking things together, you're definitely doing hacking. And they started sort of laughing out loud because of the absurdity of calling themselves a hacker, sort of. And I get it. The portrayal of hackers in in media and in in the world in general does sort of hype it up. But I think I, and probably you, came up in a different context where hacker could just be a very low stakes kind of thing. When I first heard about hackers, then it was like elite hackers. So security, very, very programming. But later, there was like, oh, yeah, those are just some open source hackers. And then there was also the whole thing, whether you're a hacker or you're a proper programmer or a coder or developer, whatever, sort of trying to distinguish between people that do a proper job of it and people that just hack things together, I guess. So I've seen a few different angles of it. Do you identify as a hacker, typically? Yes and no. I usually do it in contexts where I can explain why I identify as a hacker. If I identify as a hacker in no contexts, uh, or something like that, let's say on a Twitter bio, or something like that, people will assume I am the breaks into big computers kind of hacker and they will start asking weird questions like where did you learn all the computer security and then I will have to say that I'm not that kind of hacker I'm the old school kind of hacker and things get awkward quite quickly so yes I'm a hacker but it the word has weird connotations nowadays so yes, you consider yourself a hacker, but you wouldn't always call yourself a hacker due to the potential for misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. I think that's smart. Like in the line at the airport, don't answer that your job is being a hacker if they ask. Probably not the time or place. It's like, yeah, you're a programmer, I guess. I heard of someone that went to an Erlang conference by aircraft and on the conference they got lots of swag. One of the things they got was a t-shirt that said, let it crash, which they of course were when they went home by aircraft. And it took away a while to talk to the security personnel at the airport that it was all cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, typical airport personnel. They don't care for Erlang. Indeed. Or fault tolerance. <laughs> uh, I suppose so. <laughs> what do you put into the term hacker? I put in mostly joy and playfulness. That's kind of the first associations. Doing exciting things with code and systems and so on that they perhaps weren't meant to do at the first part. So it's actually everything from 
hacking something together with uh, either real duct tape or the code version of it. Uh, but it could also be finding security exploits and using them for something exciting. And I think one of the important things here is to use them for something fun, not to do something illegal because it's illegal. Uh, it might be illegal anyway, and that's unfortunate, so don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. But also, there are, are more connotations to the term, and I can't think of anything more now. So, yeah. <laughs> but that that playfulness part, I think, is, is important. And this is something I've talked about with my wife. Actually, when we've been to airports, this is a typical thing when when you're in the security line mm-hmm. and your mind is idle uh, you're slightly annoyed that you're there and just don't really have anything to do aside from be ready when it's your turn mm. my mind goes off wondering sort of oh how what could i get away with here what could i try things i wouldn't do because i don't want to get in actual trouble uh, and it's a it's a sort of high risk environment to to screw around. Yep. But my mind goes off and does what sort of what you've described, taking systems and exploring the edges of them, taking them to extremes. And I think that's a very common hacker trait. Sometimes it's super annoying in in for example social situations or human situations where. It's kind of like playing the devil's advocate. and But when it comes to computer systems, for example, that's actually helpful because the absol- those are built on absolute rules. And if you, you've implemented absolute rules in a faulty way, often sort of either too rigidly or not rigidly enough, if you haven't found that Goldilocks zone with your system, there may be trouble ahead. While... If, for example, the rules of your dinner party has not double, sort of expanded on all the potential edge cases and someone decides to press in all directions or extremely far in one direction with regards to sort of dinner etiquette, they're just being an asshole. Um, So then I suppose the dinner party could crash and you could restart it again. That that's the thing with human systems. It's really hard to effectively restart. Human systems retain state always. Well, it yeah, I was going to say it depends, but that's just my old consultant <laughs> things doing a thing. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, there are ways to do hacking with people and communities and stuff. For example, I would say Mastodon. A decent example of essentially doing an experimental way of running a community with humans. There's a ton of kind of, well, I guess Burning Man is a decent example as well, where they've decided on a way of doing things that is really atypical. And they've, they're sort of exploring alternate worlds and ways. In many ways, sort of the entire world of of alternative uh, scenes and subcultures has has a relationship to to how sort of hacking 
like men most hack people that would call themselves hackers i think would also generally say that they are slightly outside the norm slightly outliery or into sort of alternative things or into deeply nerdy things potentially i was thinking is there perhaps a skill there like the ability to step outside of the system you're in creative systems thinking yeah this is a it's to i suppose it's very hard to master this skill because our brains are very good at just going okay i'm have this i'm in this context now let's work with this context um but yeah so stepping outside of the norm not accepting it as it is trying the best to think through as many eyes as possible um or something think through as many eyes as possible yeah that one kind of body horror right <laughs> uh, <laughs> i like it <laughs> it's like if you type very very fast your fingertips positions will uh, turn into a cloud of likeliness no there's a better word for it gosh darn it i blew that one oh a cloud of probable flesh is that what you're going for probability cloud (laughs) yeah so it's it's you know hands from uh, ghost in the shell oh yeah but faster anyway you're statistically equivalent to that i guess yeah because those were parts of hands and if you type really, really fast, you are using something that's probable. <laughs> like every key will have uh, some probability of finger on them. Yeah. <laughs> to a similar proportion, I guess. Yeah. It's not uh, exactly equivalent, but yes. Uh, okay, so let's pop stack. Uh, <laughs> Hacking. <laughs> Hacking. I think one of the good things, or one of the things that's good to know when hacking is to be able to see something and go, okay, I can use it for this, or this is how this fits together, or can I maybe pick this apart to see how this fits together? And I think there could be some science involved there. Uh, Science is, as you know, uh, goofing around, but making notes. And if you want to do real science, you have a theory or hypothesis before you do the goofing and then you make notes Mm -hmm. so i could have the hypothesis that if i pick apart my computer and remove the battery and pick apart the battery don't do that it's super dangerous then i could use the cells in some other project or i could light myself and the house i'm in on fire Mm. science is yeah. needed or not do don't do science to that particular bit i think just keep that unknown. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think there's there's something to that and actually what you said made me think of a preference i have where when i'm looking especially these days when i'm looking at looking for a solution to something for example now i've been looking at some fediverse stuff and it's like what I'm looking for is not a Fediverse instance 
application that I can host, really. I'm curious about ActivityPub. I'm curious about ActivityStreams. I want to poke around with Fediverse things. I don't... like If I want to host something, I'll, I'll pick up something someone else has built. But if I'm exploring, the first thing I've been digging into has been, is there a library that just let me lets me talk to ActivityPub without sort of a full-on instance because what i want to do is is sort of understand and gain the power of playing with this thing um i'm not really there for a complete solution i'm there to explore and a tool that's built for doing a thing specifically is less useful to me than a tool that just allows me to to do parts. So in the in this case, I guess finding a battery or having a battery is better for me than having a laptop in many cases. If I need a laptop, a laptop is better. But if what I need is a power source or what what I want is to power some electronics, the laptop might actually be an inconvenience that gets in the way of what I want to do. And this rings true for a bunch of other tools as well. It's like, oh, yeah, I could pick up... Today I would happily pick up a static site generator if it's tight enough, sort of limited enough. But I would not pick up a typical CMS. Because generally it just gets too involved to get at the internal bits. I want libraries, and I like the Unix philosophy of sort of different tools. Like this is straight up the the Unix philosophy of sort of small tools that do small things and do those well and compose well and can sort of interact with each other. It's not a flawless implementation generally of that philosophy. Like the the Unix tools I, I use don't always slot well together. But compared to, for example similar tools from different worlds and paradigms like um, enterprise windows tooling like let's say uh, microsoft sql server database manager or whatever it's called like there's a tool for poking around the database there might be some underlying binaries you could poke and sort of use for your own purposes there's probably some dlls that are useful but all in all, it's it's intended as a complete package. Many things are intended as complete packages. And they really resist getting <laughs> sort of handing you the, the fun bits. The and if what you're what you want to do is sort of creative exploration and experimentation, like I want to find primitive bits that I can bash together. So I, I think that's that's uh, related to having a bit of a hacker mindset. And I think it helps when you're building something new in that you don't feel like you need to bring in f- sort of frameworks or things that provide you the entire world. Because you know that if you bash things together, you can usually get things done. I think there's a there's a beauty in bashing things together, and I think there's it's a good practice. Absolutely, I was thinking, what's the what's a good size for something that's together bashable? Because Microsoft's SQL Server client stuff is 
not very together bashable unless you have some i suppose it exposes some com interface or something something but that's painful in another possibly. way possibly it's yeah so it both has painful interfaces and is the wrong size mm. i don't think it's necessarily a size thing i think it's a design yeah so if it could take stuff on standard in and produce stuff on standard out it would be better yeah that that's one of the ways to do it in some cases a rest api is the correct shape to interact with sometimes a command line client is appropriate i think for example ffmpeg might be an example of an application that is certainly large convoluted and complex and the apis are <laughs> mind-bending mostly or horrible yeah uh, pretty yeah. bad uh, but also very useful yep and ffmpeg is a fantastic tool for hacking it's inconvenient, it's annoying, and you need to reach for the manual every time you touch it uh, and mostly find examples that someone else figured out. But it's an incredible tool if you want to hack on media. It sounds a bit like the media version of VI and Perl. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's one of those... It, it does a bunch of different things. So it's not like... Some would say it's not following the Unix philosophy, but I think... It is in the terms of it does a thing well, but it also does the entire thing. So if it was only supposed to be an audio demuxer or a video unpackager or whatever it's called, that would be an entire, almost entirely useless tool until you stitch it together with a bunch of other ones. And FFmpeg is rather at the level of being a useful utility and doing all the things that you need it to do. But it also has the consequence of it being incredibly complex. But I'm not sure, sort of, if you broke it apart, that that would be a better size. You can actually access many of the parts that make up FFmpeg, like the encoders and the coders. I mean, those are typically separate software packages. And I think many of them have sort of command line tooling that you can that you can use but it really depends on what you want to do like if you're dealing with an mp3 then the mad mp3 decoder or whatever is encoder maybe it is is probably probably great it would be it would be the decoder i think lame is the encoder like that can be used standalone (laughs) but if you want to do sort of h264 encoded video it's like yes probably you want uh to also wrap that in a container format. And you probably also want audio. H.264 has nothing to do with audio. It's a video encoding format. So when you're building tools, I think it matters that they that they sort of fit a useful case or many useful cases. So there's nothing as simple as saying, this is too big, this is too small. I don't think that's actually, actually entirely true. It might be a um, heuristic for things. FFmpeg probably fails the too small sort of too large heuristic it's a little bit too large and unwieldy but it turns out if you try to do it any other way it's worse yeah <laughs> or there's a better alternative that it could be but i don't think we'll find out maybe it's so big and unwieldy and complex because the underlying domain is big and unwieldy and complex so yeah yeah that is often the case when when something is unwieldy yeah 
Like if you've ever run into a SQL ORM and found like, oh, this is a little bit too complicated. It should be simpler. It's like, have you met SQL? I'm mostly fascinated how ORMs become more complex and harder to work with than SQL. Yeah. And I think that's because you're trying to sort of paper over a complex API that is complex for a reason. And you're trying to provide sort of arguably conveniences, but I don't think I don't think it's entirely the right model. I like Elixir's Ecto well enough, but it's also one of the Elixir libraries I have the most beef with. And that's partially because it sometimes gets in the way of how I just think I want to... <laughs> well, it straddles that ground like any any database library that wants to deal with SQL does, where it's like, I can't just straight up get my relationships and say, ah, give me the relationships without thinking of, of the consequences because it produces underlying SQL queries. And I can also not just focus on writing SQL because there's a programming language in between. Now, Ecto, I will slightly excuse with, it prevents me from doing, from making a lot of interesting mistakes, and it does so at compile time. That's a lot of the source of Ecto's sort of quirks. It really, really fights you if you want to build queries that could be dangerous. Nice. And it does so by a bunch of macro fanciness uh, at compile time. Also makes the queries really sort of fast, <laughs> I believe. Cool. To to compose, not uh, it doesn't change the time to run them. Does it stop you from doing SQL injections and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, that's fundamentally what's what it does. Yeah. And essentially, unless you drop down to like a raw SQL call in the underlying libraries, or I think ex- Ecto exposes some way to do it. But unless you do that, you are really prevented from accidentally creating a SQL that you don't, didn't intend. Like all values are very, very encapsulated. And yeah, yeah, it does a bunch of nice things. It also uh, will shout at you if you try to do things like uh, unsafe uh, comparisons through null and empty lists and stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of nice nice things it helps you with which means it does add some value but it's definitely sort of on that on that edge where you're building an api on top of an api and you're trying to provide all of the possibilities that this api provides that's that's a hard task yeah so do you think it's a specific skill people need to be a hacker or a specific mindset or is it just a black hoodie Black hoodies are kind of cool, but you could be a metal fan too, you know. Well, those worlds have a tendency to intersect. Or you could also like synth music, I suppose. Um, There are a lot of subcultures that wield the black hoodie, yes. Yeah, we could start enumerating them now. Never be done. I think a mindset and some skills are good to have. Skills have a tendency to to pile up after a while, so mindset is good. Uh, And I think being a hacker isn't 
You don't have to name yourself a hacker to be a hacker, and all people who say they are hackers aren't hackers. Yeah. But that's as usual when it comes to labels. Labels are hard that way. It's like naming or failing to count to n and counting to n plus one instead. So, yeah. So, yes. <laughs> so, mostly mindset. Mostly mindset. Yeah, I think the the point about some people calling themselves hackers that are probably mostly not. I get the sense that this is pretty common with sort of Silicon Valley where the term hacker has a certain cachet. It's like Silicon Valley was was partially built by hackers and it's like that's one of the cool things you can be there. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've seen self-described hackers in sort of people that are programmers of some kind that call themselves hackers. That seems to be sort of a more popular in, in SF, uh, California, kind of. Where other than that, I mostly see it with people that are sort of deeply in the uh, free software open source world and have been for some time where, where it's like, yeah, okay, I'm a kernel hacker or I'm, a, I'm an open source hacker or I'm a C++ hacker of old or like... Sometimes people self-describe as hackers because they don't particularly want to be pretentious about how they code. I think. Yeah. I think that's the that's the gist of it when applied to programmers. And then there are people that call themselves hackers because they work in infosec. And I guess that's pretty much fair to me. Like if you're working as a penetration tester or doing. Uh, almost anything in infosec requires a mindset of what happens in the failure cases of these systems what happens in the in the outliers what what could go wrong you're really really focused on um yeah when things don't go right what what then rather than focused on sort of we have implemented this system and now this system is all there is. It's like, no, you have to think about what's outside the system or what what could be side effects of the system. And I, so I think that mentality is quite common in InfoSec. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, it's a useful skill there. And I don't think it's everywhere. I think there's plenty of people in InfoSec that are sort of maybe, maybe more square in their, in their mindset. Perhaps. Uh, or less flexible. I've only seen the flexible ones. They suppose there's a huge dark matter in InfoSec too. Dark matter InfoSec experts. Mm. And now, like there are many dark matter programmers. Do you know what a dark matter programmer is? Uh, very dense nah, for their size. That's a neutron programmer. Those are two very different things. Oh, very, very attractive then. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. But if you get too close, it will flatten you. <laughs> That's also a neutron programmer. <laughs> what? Yeah, dark matter programmers are those you don't notice because they generally just do programming as a profession mm. and don't speak at conferences. They aren't discussing with you on the internet forums or, well, Usenet of old and so on. Uh, so 
could say that they are the unsung heroes, but I don't know. They are the unsung programmers. The people who just want to program a bit and then mm. go home and live their lives and not live programming. I occasionally hear from people that claim to be that. Almost by definition of <laughs> sort of answering one of my newsletters or writing in a Slack where I am. Hmm. They are achieving a little bit of outlier status. <laughs> I think they are sort of sort of breaking their own mold at that point. And I don't think anyone entirely fits the mold of sort of I am just normal. Yeah. But I definitely think you're right. There's there has to be tons and tons of programmers that are mostly just doing the job. And I think that's fine. I think that's reasonable. I think the profession probably needs that. And as a profession, we're, we're often immature and probably very frustrating to be one of those in. Mm. I have no idea how to be that. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot constrain myself. I have no chill. I don't, I don't feel the need to self-identify as a hacker, but I have no problem using it as a sort of signifier of what I'm not. Yeah. So if someone wants to label me more of a hacker than a your traditional coder or a sort of office droid or whatever, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be labeled hackers. I think ha- sort of a hacker mindset is a it can be a beautiful thing. I like the I like most things about hackers and hacking as I define them at least. And I don't know. I typically just don't feel a big need to apply the label to myself because I don't feel like I need to need to tell people I am this. I'm happy to call myself a programmer. I'm happy to call myself a developer. I don't tend to call myself an engineer, even though I don't subscribe to like, oh, this is such a protected title. Like, yes, if you're in Germany, I believe it is. It is not in Sweden. It's not in the US. But, and calling yourself a software engineer, like, oh, yeah, fine. Like, people call themselves a senior, and that's also arbitrary. And yeah, it's just call yourself whatever feels appropriate to you, I think. But I don't want to call myself a software engineer, because I don't feel I'm doing engineering. I don't feel that's sort of my approach to things. If I'm doing engineering, that's an accident. <laughs> I respect engineering. I expect people that have an engineering mindset. I just don't. You have the hacker mindset instead, but without the label. I also have an artist mindset. So, like, I, I, I'm happy to be called a hacker, but if someone calls me goes ahead and calls me a creative or an artist or whatever, like, happy to. Uh, I I relate to those. I contain multitudes. I'm happy to have to be multiple things. But there are certain things I wouldn't call myself. And there are things that I've had to accept with time that maybe I am partially that. Like, I'm a pretty decent marketer. That wasn't a label I was keen to pick up. That doesn't have a good reputation in the hacker world. Uh, similarly... I'm an okay, not great salesperson. I try not to put myself in the situation of needing to do any kind of traditional sort of pushy sales. But I run a business, so I 
do technically do sales. And also, I'm I'm apparently a businessman, but yeah, labels. It's like some of them I accept uh, because I can't deny that I am doing that. I am doing that work. And that's probably why the label fits. But in some cases, for example, for the engineer, I don't see that that's quite what I'm doing. And programmer or developer fits well enough. So with a lot of my client work, I can't be too sort of hacker creative. That's more that's more ex- extracurricular to me. Uh, I use my mindset, I use my skill for my clients. But generally, when I'm full on in hack away mode, I don't produce the most professional results. I tend to produce results and I produce interesting results, but not professional results necessarily. Do you consider sort of different modes of operation when you program? Yeah, for a very long time, I only had one mode of operation because I mostly programmed for myself. But now I have more of a work mode and a creative mode, I suppose. So many more tests are written at work than at home. (laughs) And I, in both cases, I can write something quick to test a hypothesis. Uh, But it's when at home, it can stop at that because that was what I wanted to test. And at work, it usually turns into something. So you're saying you don't practice test-driven hacking? No, (laughs) I don't. It's, no, (laughs) it's not fun enough. (laughs) And I haven't really, you know, test-driven development is exciting in the way that I haven't been able to do it in a, if applied in the way that the people who teach test-driven development teach it, it's just too chopped up. So it starts with, you know, the red-green cycle. And Hmm. so write a test to have everything crash, and that's not very fun. So, yeah, (laughs) I can't do that anymore. I tried to do it for a while. So some sometimes I build things that are hacked together and then send either realize like, oh, this is too complicated to keep track of when I'm doing it right or when I'm doing it wrong. And then switched into sort of, okay, I need to write out the tests and then sort of implement or at least make sure I have tests that cover cover what I need to do, even when I'm doing something fairly hacky, if it's a little bit more ambitious hacking. <laughs> But there's also there's also the case when I've hacked together something and it's like, yes, I have it working. It does the thing. Now I want it to keep doing the thing, but also be good <laughs> uh, and stop being a hacky sort of uh, fun project and be sort of something that I'm happy to share with other people. Then might also be a phase where where it's like, oh, maybe we add tests to this. Maybe we confirm that we're doing things correctly, and that so that in the future when we want to change things, we don't break them. That's mostly why I want tests. Yeah. So elite hacker status. That's that's limited to to very bearded people in black hoodies that have gone through Chalmers. Is that about correct? 
Chalmers doesn't have much to do with it, I'm afraid. You were always a hacker? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's also a thing like all the labels and all the things that could give status become toxic after a while, I think. So that's also one of the reasons why, I, why I'm cringing a bit when it comes to the hacker label. It's It has a very good side. It has a murky side, which is, yeah. And then it has just the old dude toxic side, which I don't want to have anything to do with. And I'm not going to name any old toxic dudes. You can find them yourself. Uh, They are available. Yeah, they're everywhere, especially on the internet. But I think you can Google prominent Unix hackers or something and they will show up. So, yeah, I don't want, maybe it's more that I don't want the hacker label to be some kind of hierarchical elite status thing. I want yeah. it to be anarchistic and fun, something where we show up and show all the silly things we've cobbled together with duct tape and enthusiasm and love for making not making for love or for... Ah, whatever. You get it. Duct tape and enthusiasm. You had me at duct tape and enthusiasm. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>